Welcome to the Urban Hope Podcast. Today's sermon is called The Great Shepherd Knows Where His Sheep Can Be Found, Part 2, from Acts 16, 11 through 15, from Pastor Alton Hardy. We stand, page 1099, the Pew Bible. A few short verses here from Acts 16, verses 11 through 15, as we're making our way through this book. The Lord is speaking, he's guiding us, he's making his word known to us, and as a preacher, speaker, I have the responsibility of trying to communicate this, and so I pray for God's grace to do that. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Simon Thoughts of Thrace, and following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days, and on the seventh day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The grass withers and the flowers fade. You may be seated. Last week, I left off with some very important points and reflections on how the great shepherd our Lord and our Savior and our King uses dreams and visions for all the work of evangelism, missions in the world, church planting, and directing all work of redemption toward his lost sheep being found. Ephesians 1 11 says, for he chose us in advance. Verse 4 of Ephesians says, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Here in verse 11 it says, he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. 
this verse, it summarizes in many ways the divine sovereignty of God. That the great shepherd that we love and serve, that he is the one who sits high and looks low that is directing every process and ordering every event that happens in this world for the fulfilling of his own eternal plan. And last week, we could all see from the text, or from the sermon, that it was not Paul, Luke, Timothy, Silas, but that it was King Jesus, the great shepherd, who stopped Paul and his team from entering Asia and Bithynia. They were trying to go there. It was close by. It was a natural step to go in that direction. But we saw twice in the text, the word of God said that the spirit of Jesus, the Holy One, Stop Paul. Close the door. He says, no, not yet, not time. And then we see as he closed those doors, he directed them by giving Apostle Paul a strong vision in the night. This word that was used, I preached on it last week, vision, this word carries the idea of an event which something appears vividly. This is not a fleeting thought. It was vivid, credible to the mind, implying the influence of some divine or supernatural power. It was Jesus speaking to Paul by granting him the vision of the man in Europe, say, help us come over here. It was Jesus, the shepherd, that was directing this apostle, this great missiologist. Don't go there, but go here. And gives him a great vision. That vision to Paul was so compelling. It was, when you get a vision from God, you can't shake it. I can remember the process with me. I just couldn't go back to just Back to back. I just couldn't go. It didn't matter how much money you tried to pay me to go work a job at this company or that company. When God burdens your heart with a vision and you know it's from him, you can't shake it. You can't go back to just being the normal whoever. You just can't get up and just say, you know what, I'm just going to go do my own thing. And this vision was so compelling I said this on last week, that it went from an eye vision that Paul having it to an we vision. The end of verse 10, 
when it says they, they all concluded that this, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, Macedonia, which is in Europe. Huge mission undertaking that's about to take place here. This word concluded, this Greek word that Paul said when they all concluded together, Luke is now with them. Dr. Luke, who's writing the book, that's Timothy, young Timothy, that Paul met in Lystra in Iconia. And there's Silas, who took the place of Barnabas back all the way in Antioch. They concluded. This word concluded means it, it, it carries the picture that they had a discussion. They put all the things together. They reasoned with each other and says, well, we tried to go to Asia. We tried to go to Bethania. We tried to do this. And God was shutting doors. And so this word carries the idea that they had discussion and they had reasoning. And all that had happened to them, they started to put two and two together. The closing of doors by the Spirit. And then the strong vision that Paul had in the middle of the night. Watch those dreams. When God's trying to get you to do something, sometimes you don't hear the preacher very well. But here it is, so God says, okay, you're not hearing PA, so I'm going to just slide up in, in your dreamland. <laughs> God said, this ain't the dreamland barbecue neither. I'm, this is the dream coming into your dream. He said, hey, this is me trying to direct you to do this or that, to relocate here. Take this job, go in this path, take this career path. And don't look at the money. Don't make your decision based on a 401k retirement for your children. The shepherd says to you, I got you. I know you. Don't worry about what you can't worry about. But I'm trying to guide you. So watch those dreams, young people. I'm not a one that, you know, get a lot of dreams. I've had a few. But God actually speaks to me in the open. I'm wide awake. Jesus through his word and through people. I've received a lot of prophetic words over my life, me and Sandy. One word that a lady said to me, her, she said, you're going to be working with young people. Well, look around. <laughs> That's why I knew it was God. God got told that some 25, 30 years ago. That me and Sandra was going to be working with young people. I have an old pastor ask me all the time, how do you get all them young people? King Jesus. Don't know how. I didn't set out to go after young people, but that's what God had in mind for me. So here again, strong vision given to Paul. Well, after you get a strong vision from God, what comes next? When the vision is clear, it's precise, you know it's from Jesus. You know it's from the great shepherd. What comes next should be obedience. Now that you know, we should obey that vision. And this is what the word of God tells us. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to summon us. They made a direct voyage. 
this Greek word here that Luke uses, direct voyage, is helping us to see that God's favor, direct voyage, is all over the vision. When it's from God, God make it straight and clear and like Bree was singing, nothing can stop him. Our Lord is a lion. Nothing can stop him, make him worry, keep him up at night. Nothing can stop him. So Luke says, they set, trail, set sail from Troas and they made a direct voyage. Dr. Luke uses the Greek word here, this, this nautical expression, direct voyage, which, mean, which means the wind was there to their backs. They weren't going against the wind. The wind was pushing them. Woo, that's when you know you got the favor of God. Before the wind, they were trying to go into Asia. The guys, oh, no, don't go here. That's, you're trying to go against God's will. But Luke says we had direct voyage, means that the wind was to their backs. That's like sometimes when I'm preaching, I can just feel the wind blowing on my back. I, I know I'm in the pleasure of God. I'm not, I'm not working hard for it. The words just come with the ease. What do you call that? You call that the favor of God. God is in this. Luke says, we made a direct voyage. The wind was to their backs. And they moved swiftly to their destination by the Spirit of God directing them to Europe. For what reason? In order that they would find his lost sheep. Verse 12, the word of God says they came from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. The city Philippi was named after the father of Alexander the Great, the great king of Greece. Some would say Macedon, which is Macedonia. His father was named Philip, Philippi. We have a Philip among us. But this is not the Philip that they're talking about, not that Philip sitting in the audience. We like him and we love him, but that's not the Philip. Philippi was a Roman colony, it says. So what does that mean? Well, that means that the city had all the Roman privileges that Rome itself would have. The citizens all kept their Roman ties, the Roman language, the title, the customs, the affairs, and they dress. If you was in Philippi, you was like being in Rome. It was called a little Rome, away from Rome. And lots of veteran Roman soldiers would also retire there. When they got tired, they get old like my age, and they would go to Philippi, and that's where they would, would retire and be there. And so the word of God says it was a, a Roman colony. That's what it's trying to say. 
But let me go a little bit higher than talking about Philippi. Let's take it to the God perspective. Big God, bear with me. God knows 2,000 years ago, every living person there in Philippi. Why? Because he, the great creator, had created them all for his glory. From the oldest to the youngest to the richest to the poorest, God knows everything about them. He knew their ages. He knew what occupations they had. He knew about all of their deeds, good and bad. He knew all of their thoughts from afar and all the idols of their hearts, the things that they were concerned about, the evil things being done to them, and the evil things that they're doing to others. God was aware. And God knew every detail about every living soul in Philippi and where they would be located every hour. Stay with me. That God knows where you are at every hour, every minute, and every second. There was never a time where God lost track of any of them. He never lost track. Let me bring it into our world to help us as we reflect on this great shepherd. Do you not know that the Bible declares, Job, you're going to like this, that God knows every star in the universe all by name? I'm going to go a little deeper on that. But I'm going to say it again. Do you not know that the Bible that we, you and I read, it declares that God knows every star in the universe, all by name. Psalms 147, verse 4. He, the great shepherd, he determined the number of stars and he gives to all of them their names. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created all these stars? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power. And then it says, and not one of their stars, not one of them are missing. Go a little deeper. If you come here early enough, you'll see Job, he have up on the screen the galaxies floating around just because him and I, we have that in common. Just like the, if you ever just want to get out of your fog when you're depressed, I would dare you go out in the middle of the night and just look up and say, he says, not one of them. If you're feeling like you're all alone, God don't understand what you're going through. He can't see your heartache about your mom's pain and suffering or whatever it may be ailing you. I dare you to go out in the middle of the night and look up and say, you say not one of them stars are missing. And that's a star 
but I've been made in the image and the likeness of you. How much more you're not missing to him. The earth where we all habitate resides in what we call the Milky Way. It's the name of our galaxy within this solar system. And the Milky Way within this solar system is one of many, of one of many billions with an S of galaxies. Astronomers try to estimate this stuff. So let me give you some numbers. I want you to reflect on this great shepherd that I'm referring to this morning. One such estimate says that there are between 100 and 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. What we can see with the telescope that we have out there. 100 to 200 billion galaxies. Astronomers have tried to estimate the number of missed galaxies in previous studies, and they have come up with a total number of 2 trillion galaxies in the universe. All inhabited billions of stars, and the Bible says the God the great shepherd, he knows every star by name and not one of them stars are missing. Not one. Now I'm back to the text. This is the great shepherd that I'm, for which I'm referring. That's just for stars. I'm not talking about the fish in the sea, the water, the snowflakes, each one that falls, all shaped differently, each raindrop that falls, all shaped differently. It's an amazing God that we serve. This great shepherd is the one who knows the number of hairs that are upon your head today, the one who knows your future, and the one who knows his sheep and the sheep that would listen to his voice. And yet, he uses our obedience in doing missions and evangelism in bringing the gospel to his lost sheep that are only known to him before the beginning of the foundations of the world. brought this book with me. You know, I read a lot of books, but this is a classic. Um, you might not hear um, just some of the TV evangelists, preachers that are on the airways today. They're not going to probably put out a book like this, because this, this stuff right here is what grounds you in solid theological robustness when you when suffering is knocking at your door and you want to know whether God sees your suffering. I just told you he knows every star by name and not one of them are missing and that's just stars and God says we're, we're the apex of all creation. Human beings. J.I. Packer theologian 
And this book is called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. A book you want to get. And so in this book, J.R. Packer addresses the question. Because you just read like the great shepherd who, who knows his sheep, where they can be located, where they can be found. So what do you need me for? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> what do I have to do? If he, he already has done the deal, I could just stay home and go to the beach. Or go clubbing, whatever we like to do. Go watch fantasy football. Go watch Alabama come close to losing. Auburn being, you know what, dumped into the middle of the earth. <laughs> Whatever your choice. But J.R. Packer addresses the question in his book, if God is in control, which I say all the time here, he is. He's in full control. Why should we do anything at all? Why do I need to come to church, PA, if he's in full control? Why should we work? Why should we pray? Since God knows the end from the beginning, he's sovereign, he knows all the stars in the galaxies, why should I pray? Why should I come when we have prayer here on, um, once a month as a church? And especially, you might ask, why should we evangelize? Why should the Alex Woods them get up and go to Zambia? If God's going to do God, great questions. Why should I have come to Fairfield, planted this church, since God was going to do God stuff? Those are great questions. I want to show you how all this stuff works out, which he explains in the book. Turn to John chapter 6. One of the chapters that he talks about is the divine sovereignty of God in human responsibility. So there's God's sovereignty and there's human responsibility. And so turn with me to John chapter 6, start at verse 35, because you're going to see it. These two truths parallel coexist by side by side. And let me tell you, there's some mystery to it. It is what it is but it's all over the Bible. So here we go. John 6, 35. If you're in the Pew Bible, it's page 1060. Here we go. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Human responsibility, first verse. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Hey, whoever comes, human responsibility. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Human responsibility. Whoever believes. Whoever comes. Whoever believes. Human responsibility. Keep reading. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Human responsibility. Verse 37. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. So human responsibility, now divine sovereignty. All that the Father gives to me will come. 
Keep going. And whoever comes to me, human responsibility, I will never cast out. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he, the Father, has given me, divine sovereignty. I'm not going to lose them. They can't get salvation and then lose salvation. I have sticky glue that is not of this world. When my hands is upon you, when I captivate your heart, there's not a devil, there's not an angel, there's not a witch doctor, there's not a seer or anybody you want to name that can take you out of my hands. Not even your sin can do it. Jesus is saying, I don't lose. I don't drop the end zone touchdown. I don't fumble the ball. I don't got to run through the practice, practice catching the ball. I am the catcher. <laughs> Sometimes we just got to get our doctrine right. Jesus don't lose like that. And so he says, then jump down to verse 44. I'm going to skip to this. Wait, go, no, verse 41. Just keep reading. Jesus says, um, well, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, whoever looks on the Son, human, human responsibility, and believes in him, shall have eternal life. And I would raise him up on the last day. Verse 41. So the Jews grumble about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And then they said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Here it is. No one, the clincher of divine sovereignty, no one. And when Jesus says no one, he means no one. No one can come to me. Man, I remember when this hit me and I still cry. I can feel it tearing up again. No one can come to me. No one can just say I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to Jesus. He says no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me Helkuo is the Greek word, draws him. This is an inner drawing, supernatural, divine, by the power of grace that draws each of us to, the, to Jesus. And so, as I move into the text, that's just the backdrop. Now let's move into the text of Acts 16. Let's see how this divine sovereignty and human responsibility works itself out in Philippi. And it says, verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside. You should mark in your Bible, human responsibility. We went outside. It's an action. They, they're moving with the vision. They didn't stay in. They went outside. 
And the word of God said they went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we, Paul, Timothy, Dr. Luke, and Silas sat down. And here again, and spoke. Some of y'all too quiet. You want God to do everything. It's human responsibility. And I'm going to keep bringing it out until you see it. And they spoke. Meaning they uttered out of their mouths. They gave the word. They didn't go, mm, God just going to do God and I'm just going to be quiet. No, the word of God says, and they spoke. Human responsibility. Evangelism. And they spoke. Well, let me back up a little bit here. Because I went too fast. Where it says they went down on the Sabbath day to the gate to the riverside. According to Jewish tradition, there had to be a quorum of at least 10 males head of households before a synagogue could be formed. If these requirements could not be met, the faithful were to meet under the open sky near a river or sea. So this is why Paul doesn't go to a synagogue because there is no synagogue. And so he goes down by the riverside because according to the tradition, if you wanted to get a hold of the God of, of, of the Jews, that's what you needed to do. Unless there was 10 or more male Jews there for them to, in order for them to have a synagogue. Because they didn't have that many Jews there, they're down praying by the river. And the word of God says that Paul and Bar I mean, not Silas and Timothy go down there human responsibility, and they spoke to the women there by the river. So they're doing their part. And now look at what happens here. Now look at what divine sovereignty comes in. Remember I said God knows everyone, every person where they live, where they're going to be. You think God that day didn't know that old Lydia and all those women were going to be down by the riverside. He just told you he knows where every star is. And there are two trillion galaxies inhabited billions of stars. Oh, uh, you want to tell me that somehow the old God of the Bible doesn't know that he's going to see Lydia down by the riverside? And Paul just happenstance, he just walks up in there got to let the text arouse your heart in the greatness of God. He's looking for his lost sheep and he's directing his people to them. Sometimes it's at the workout facility where you work out. You keep wondering why you keep looking at that young man because maybe that young man is waiting for you to come over and say, hey, I need to meet with you. He starts crying. He says, what? Just, it's, this is just a divine connection. Go back to Lydia. It says, verse 14, and one who heard, we know the text. How do we get faith? We get faith by hearing the word of God. 
One who heard. That means someone must be speaking the word, preaching the word. One who heard, the Bible says, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira and a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. She was looking for him. You realize the sheep out there are looking for God. They're waiting on us. God's leading us and guiding us. They're waiting. They may be confused about Jesus. They're just waiting on you who sit next to them every day on your job. They're just waiting on you to open your mouth and invite them out to Chick-fil-A. And to explain to them who Jesus really is. The Bible says she was a worshiper of God. Man, this verse, every time I read it, it just makes me cry. And it says, divine sovereignty in the Lord, not Paul, not Silas, not Timothy. It was the Lord, not Paul, not Silas, not Timothy. It was the Lord. It was the Lord who opened her heart. It was the Lord, by the power of his spirit, he opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. It was the Lord that arrested Lydia. It was God who knows each star by name and not one of them are missing. It was the Lord that knew that's my sheep. It was Jesus who opened her heart that she would understand what Paul was saying. It was the Lord who opened your heart. It was the Lord who opened my heart. It was the Lord. Man, when you see that, this is divine sovereignty. It was Jesus. Nobody else, nobody can open our hearts. No one can open our, anybody's heart. You, you and I, we do our best, we preach the word, but it is Jesus who opens the hearts. Some of us, we're doing too much thinking, trying to figure out the end result. Your job is to open your mouth and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and let God be God. Stop trying to figure out what's going to happen with this person or that. You're not God. Please hear me. You don't know what Jesus will do with that person. But we get trapped in looking at their circumstances and we put it through our grid. What, and, we, and this is the thing. We, we really have little faith. This is why I want us to meditate on the God of the Bible, not the God of that you've been told about. He has a billion trillion galaxies. He opened her heart to pay attention. You remember that moment? Come back to it. Then the Bible says she believed. Salvation came. She was baptized in all of her household as well. That's why we do infant baptism. She had little babies there. So, well, they're part of the household. You a believer? Leah is the head of the house. She probably was a single mother, 
a single, uh, and she was rich and she had money, she had a business, and everybody in the household was baptized as well. That's why we do what we do. We call it covenant baptism. That's a whole other sermon. Chad quotes this verse all the time. It's right here in the Bible. Well, you say you want to be a Baptist. Well, I'm just going to wait till everybody in the household profess Christ Jesus. What's going on here? <laughs> Babies are there. I'll come back to that later. Two takeaways from the text. Here we are. First one. What does this mean for us as we are faithful to do evangelism and discipleship? So what does this mean for us who are faithful to do evangelism and discipleship? 1 Corinthians 3, 7 is for you and I. Paul says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. It is God who opens the eyes of all of our hearts. Your job is to plant the word. Some of us will water the word. One planting, one sowing, one watering, but it is God who opens the hearts. That should free you up today. You don't have to, you can go back to your job and you can just say, man, I don't got to close the deal. No, this ain't like a real estate deal. This ain't a real estate investment. <laughs> you can just, I'm just going to plant. Somebody else may do the watering. But we ultimately know it is God himself who will open the eyes, who will open the heart, who will give the growth. Second thing, take away. And this will be an encouragement to you. Philippians 2.12, where Paul is, where he will plant this church. Satan didn't know that day in Europe 2,000 years ago that King Jesus, who can't not be stopped, he's the lion and the lamb of Judah, He's come to get his sheep. And on that day in Philippi, Satan did not know that a king had landed in Philippi. And so Paul writes back to Philippians, church in Philippi, and he says in verse 12, and this is an encouragement for us, and this is for you in the room today. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so not only as in my presence but much more in my absence, Paul says. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. This is not to, not this trepidatious type of fear. This is work it out. Continue to obey God. Be sensitive to his voice, to his spirit leading and guiding you. Then Paul says this in verse 13. Let this be medicine to your heart here today. This is all of grace. He says, for it is God working in you. Stop. It's not you. The good that you desire to do, Paul says, it is God working in you, giving you the very desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do you, so you want to know if you're a Christian today. If you have a desire in your heart to please God, that's from God. The desire to even want to repent, the desire to even want to obey God, be at church, be in Bible study, be faithful, that is not of your own doing. So Paul says, you can just relax. Take a deep breath. 
and know that this is God. Man, here's what's going This is why this is important. Because there will be moments where you feel like you're failing God. And the devil will say to you, don't get up and try to repent. Don't just stop. Just go ahead and lay in the, in the, in the hall pen. But Paul is saying, when you have that desire, say, I'm going to go to church today. I want to repent. I want to pray. I want to live for God. I want to do what God does. That's coming from God himself within you. Because without God working in us, none of us, including your pastor, would ever seek to come to Jesus on my own strength. Jesus came to me, held QO, and literally came into the club in Grand Rapids when I was clubbing two-stepping. Hennessy in one hand, cheap Popeye juice in the other hand. Kid you not, I was a club freak, drunk all the time. What's that song about two chains or train? Uh, I was, man, I'm drunk. You know, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a lost person. And Jesus comes into the club, Chad. Open my heart. And next thing you know, I'm in church two-stepping now. <laughs> and now I'm a pastor. My friend still said, man, Louis, what happened? I met the true two-stepper. <laughs> and that's what happened to you. I end with this question. It's one I've always asked the Lord. I have friends who have not come to know Jesus Christ. I have friends. How many of you have friends and family members who have not come to know Jesus? You ever ask yourself, Christ will make you come? Why you are here playing drum, a leader in our church, and not some of the friends you know? Why are you saved? you think on that, brothers and sisters, it will embed your heart with humility beyond and that song that Bree was singing. I don't even know how that chorus went. Glory. Whatever. It just, I'm serious. I'm being dead serious. I want us to be a singing church, but you know how you become a singing church when you understand what I'm trying to communicate to you? That you are a believer here today because of Jesus opening your heart. And if you think about some of your friends that you know their hearts have not been opened, I don't know why. That's the mystery. But here you are. So glory to him for what he's done. Father, we thank you that you have come, made us alive in your son Jesus. Lord, we can't even un understand <laughs> Man, Lydia was just there. You opened our heart. <laughs> you opened our heart, Lord. Just like you did us. We were just as rebellious, stubborn, sexual promiscuity, and all the rest. And Lord, we were, but you opened our hearts and brought conviction to us. <laughs> Lord, we can take no credit for that. So, Jesus, I pray that here, urban folk, that we would be a people of grace, 
goes beyond just the, the facade. But a grace that compels us to know that you can reach the deepest, most stubborn, rebellious, sinful person of this world. Because they're no match for the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful God who can open the eyes of a human being. And Lord, I confess as your son, I don't know what that is and how you do that. But I'm grateful that you've done it for me and for those who are sitting on the sound of my voice. May this sermon melt the hearts as we go home. May the song that Bree was singing Thank you for listening to the Urban Hope Podcast. For more information about Urban Hope Community Church, please visit our website, www.urbanhopecc.com.